I'm Umbreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired. We're taking a closer look at how abortion rights evolved with historian David Garrow. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author of a half-dozen works of nonfiction, including Liberty and Sexuality, The Right to Privacy, and The Making of Roe v. Wade. Before the break, Garrow described how abortion rights evolved in the United States, taking us back to the case Griswold v. Connecticut. He described how the battle for access to contraception for married couples ultimately paved the way for a legal movement that sought to liberalize abortion laws. Before the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade, women's maternal health deaths attributed to botched and unsafe abortions, and that inspired clergy around the country to organize an underground network of support to connect women to medically trained doctors willing to perform illegal abortions. Let's get back to the conversation. When Roe and Doe v. Bolton were argued in the Supreme Court in 1971 and 1972, the quality of Texas's representation in those cases was laughably poor. Hmm. Uh, Same thing when Griswold uh, was argued in the Supreme Court in 1965. Connecticut's representation was quite poor. Nowadays, however, and Texas has been a leader in this, Mississippi is now a leader in this, the quality of the legal submissions and arguments is absolutely first rate. Mississippi's Solicitor General, Mr. Stewart, submitted arguably the best Supreme Court brief I've ever read in my life in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women Health Organization case. Now, That's one aspect of the growth of a conservative legal movement that the Federalist Society played a major role in, and that also the network of former clerks uh, to Justice Clarence Thomas played a major role in. Now, I think many people have heard of the Federalist Society and may realize that it is a conservative, intellectual, legal powerhouse. Uh, These are really first-rate folks. And during the George W. Bush presidency, during the Trump presidency, dozens and dozens and dozens of first-rate Federalist Society members became federal judges. And Justice Thomas in particular has built this powerhouse network of former clerks uh, who are now on the federal courts of appeal and district courts. And These judges will be there 30 years from now. At least six of the nine justices currently serving on the Supreme Court have ties to the Federalist Society, all except Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Stephen Breyer. In the arithmetic of the Supreme Court, upholding Roe v. Wade may not add up. I think it's crystal clear that the Texas SB 8 statute will be struck down. In the oral arguments in the two Texas cases a month ago, Justices Kavanaugh, Barrett, and even Justice Clarence Thomas made it clear that they believe the Texas law is constitutionally unacceptable in its legal procedural particulars. It's not about pregnancy or abortion per se. It's about the very odd, unique unacceptable enforcement method. Now, the Mississippi case is more threatening and more difficult. 
And it will come down to some combination of Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch, and Justice Barrett. Justice Barrett made it very clear in the Texas oral arguments, at least to me, that she is a first-rate intellect, an absolutely first-rate intellect. She asked the Abortion Providers Council in the Texas case a question about an 1850 precedent, and she knew it, and he did not know what she was asking. So she knows her stuff. Both Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch clerked for retired Justice Anthony Kennedy. One of Justice Kennedy's two major constitutional milestones was Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the landmark 1992 ruling that upheld Roe v. Wade, and Casey remains the law of abortion today. So what Mississippi is asking Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh to do is to overturn or flush the constitutional legacy of their justice. Now, former clerks are notoriously, notoriously loyal to their justices. Justice Gorsuch is willing to overturn apple carts. So to me, Justice Gorsuch voting to overturn Casey and Roe is far more likely than Justice Kavanaugh doing so. Kavanaugh is always looking for an intermediate middle ground. But in the Mississippi litigation, is 15 weeks really an intermediate ground between viability and overturning Casey and Roe? No one who really analytically understands abortion litigation thinks that the justices can accept a 15-week ceiling without automatically triggering further state statutes that would move the scale from 15 to 12 to 10 to 6, etc. We also have in the last few years, as we see in Texas, the rise of these fetal heartbeat statutes, Mm -hmm. with the general consensus being that a fetal heartbeat begins at about six weeks time in pregnancy. Now, many states are adopting these heartbeat statutes, and they're being litigated in the federal courts of appeal from state after state. So the safest bet is that a court majority either has to reaffirm Casey and Roe, or it has to overturn everything and move us to a world where abortion legality is entirely a state-by-state-by-state world. To overturn Casey and Roe would take us back to 1970, to a world where women who can travel interstate will experience abortion freedom. Women whose lives don't allow them to travel interstate will lose reproductive freedom. Cavell is also not optimistic that Roe v. Wade will survive Mississippi's challenge. I think the outcome is more or less already known um, by many of the justices. So sadly, I expect a outcome that accepts the Mississippi law as constitutionally permissible and therefore does away with the viability rule that we've all kind of come to rely on as the guiding principle in when abortions can be banned by states. And so the practical result is going to be fewer clinics that are open in some of these places that already have limited access. 
Liz Cavell is the Associate Legal Counsel for the Freedom From Religion Foundation based in Madison, Wisconsin. The nonprofit organization has 35,000 members and describes itself as a church-state watchdog advocating for free thought. David Garrow is a historian and the author of several books, including Liberty and Sexuality, The Right to Privacy, and The Making of Roe v. Wade, a comprehensive history of the American reproductive rights struggle. One undeniable force in the conversation about the evolution of abortion rights in America is the role and influence of the Roman Catholic Church, its impact on shaping the public debate and legal strategies to reverse the historic 1973 Supreme Court ruling is, well, undisputed. Yet the leadership of the church on this issue stands in stark contrast to the public opinion polling of American Catholics. In 2019, the Pew Research Center found that two-thirds of American Catholics say Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. Raising the question, who speaks for pro-choice Catholics? After the break, my conversation with Jamie Manson, president of Catholics for Choice. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We'll be right back. 